Paul, the apostle, writing to Titus, continuing to give him instructions. Uh, Now we're moving not from just uh, men or women or elders, but now he's uh, getting a bit more general, reminding Christians together. So what I want to do is uh, read the entire thing and then go back verse by verse because because it's so long. I want to at least get through the entire text and then come back verse by verse. Okay. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want, to, I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed <coughs> in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. All right, I think uh, that's an entire mouthful, that's a whole book, so... Let's just break that down uh, verse by verse, starting with verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. So here uh, Paul is continuing with his instructions and guidance to the church in Crete, which is uh, a bit of a mess, which is something that we should all be able to relate to because we're a bit of a mess. And if that's news to you, you're welcome. <laughs> if that offends you, stay tuned because Jesus Christ uses the mess that we all contribute to. And I'm saying we because I contribute to that mess as well. And Christ takes this mess and makes something unique and beautiful out of all of our broken pieces with his sinless life, death, and resurrection. So it is this message of the gospel, which by his grace, we are made new. So these believing citizens of uh, Christ's kingdom in Crete and us here today are receiving uh, divine instruction on how to glorify God with our obedience to rulers and authorities. So immediately we have that dreaded uh, S word, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every good work. Uh, does anybody like that word, really? Like, submissive? It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not one of those words that, that any of us immediately cling to. Like, yes, I want to be submissive to everyone. That's not a natural disposition for people to naturally, like, yes, I want to 
go to work. I want to submit to everybody. I want to listen to the police. My president is going to say things, and I'm going to agree, and the court is going to make rulings, and I'm going to submit to all those rulings, and I'm just going to love this stuff. Yeah, that that really doesn't happen about any of us because we all have stuff where we're completely in disagreement with our ruling and authorities. And, and Paul saying, be submissive to these people. It's like, does Paul know who's, who our ruling authorities are, what they, this type of stuff that they do? Did, did, is it possible that they got this wrong? Like, wait, does he, can we get like a bypass on this? Does this not count? Does this only count for them then? No, Crete had it bad too. Crete had it worse. They were ruled uh, by an invading army. And Crete is one of those places, um, for a little bit of context on it, its culture was influenced by not just um, Rome, but also Jerusalem and Africa. Uh, we, we looked at the picture last week. Uh, not, no, that was last month, I think, around then. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful Mediterranean island, but it's also influenced by equally Rome, equally Jerusalem, equally Africa, because it's right there equal distance from all, all those places. So uh, they had even already established a democracy because it was run by people. They didn't have a king in Crete. They had a democracy. So they had the full right to govern themselves poorly. So when Rome came through, the invading army, they enslaved everybody and made them go from democracy to uh, you know, a ruler, a dictator. So they went backwards in Crete. So what they're looking for in Christ is a reason to rebel. And the apostle Paul says, be submissive to rulers and authorities. So we may think, wait, that's, 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 they don't, they don't know. Or do they know what they do in America? No, Paul knows under the direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit, he completely knows those are the people that we have to be submissive and, uh, and, uh, (laughs) To those people in authority. Um, even the word submission uh, brings out the inner hypocrite in all of us. Because I, I, I can say I like submission when other people submit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like for me, I, I'm, I'm a jujitsu guy. You know, I, I like the Brazilian jujitsu, tapping guys out. That's cool. They submit. Even for me, like, I don't like submitting. I don't want to. I was talking to my wife the other day. I was talking about what happened Thursday. There was a guy that tapped me out, and I didn't feel too cool about that. <laughs> it stuck with me. I don't like submission. But um, that, that's how we roll. Even in our culture today, we do not like uh, submission. It, 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 it brushes up against and then headbutts the whole concept of America. That doesn't work. We're like, we're like freedom, liberty. Shotguns and forties. That's 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 America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, ba- baseball, apple pie, football, America, submission. What? <laughs> those things, those things uh, really don't go together. That's not part of our American culture. So it's definitely uh, antithetical to the American position. So, um, who are our rulers and authorities, though? So, what is Paul talking about? Is he talking about, like, like a church? 
or is he talking about like in government or at work? Well, last time I was up here, we already covered work. That was a uh, servants obey your masters. That's we already covered work. So what's Paul talking about now? He's actually talking about our civil magistrates, our ruling bodies. Um, It's very important to have a godly perspective or worldview because the Bible isn't just what we do in church. You understand? Um, Worldview is one of the most important things that's lacking in the Christian church today because we think that this is something that we do on Sunday and then we leave and we live like a pagan. We have to understand that... uh, We're called to have a Christian worldview. That's what Christ is getting at when he said uh, uh, renewing your mind. So we view our world through the lens of Christ and what Christ has ordained and what God said was good uh, to keep back the evils of man, his ordinances or his establishments to protect all of mankind, not just the Christian or family, government and the church. So. God instituted family. That's why we protect family. That's why we try to cover family, which is really, really under attack right now. Family being defined as one man and one woman and their offspring. Uh, That's a family. Anything else is counterfeit family. Government being the civil magistrates and church being uh, the body of Christ. Not a building, but the body of believers following the king. That, that Those are the three institutes that God said, this is what will restrain men from evil. This will be uh, where we prosper. This is where we'll make disciples. And those and these three function differently. Only two that may touch is actually the family and the church. So uh, the government are very much separate. So we could say that separation of church and state is actually a biblical principle because we don't mix our church with our state either. So, but that looks a little differently than the common oh separation of church and state. Separation of, it looks a little differently than that because now what we're doing is making moral decisions in the state that affect the church, and that's exactly what we're against. We cannot make a civil magistrate can come down and make a decision that infringes upon. Our religion that's absolutely absurd but yet here we are and that's happening today right now currently and Paul says submit wow <laughs> so um what we're talking about is our civil authorities our rulers and authorities um, here's the hard news it's all of them we submit to everyone put in a position of authority over us That is the call of the Christian or the believer. So if there's anyone here that thinks they're like extra godly and like, oh, submission, that doesn't bother me. That would include me and and him and even that guy. (laughs) Terrifying, right? (laughs) Terrifying. So um, this type of submission doesn't end when the service ends or it doesn't end when the cops go away, you know? So when you see that speed limit, think submission, because nobody listens to that in Pittsburgh. It's like a suggestion here. And I realized that after 
for a little while. It says 45, but nobody's really going 45. It's like, does anybody know what the speed limit on the parkway is? Yeah. Did you did, like? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. The speed limit on the parkway is only 55. However, if you do 55 on our parkway, somebody's going to have some choice words for you, and they might tell you you're number one, just not in the way that you think. <laughs> but are we submitting to that? Think about that on the drive home, y'all. It's like, hmm. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Romans 13. Here's a cross-reference here. You don't have to turn there if you have it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that ha- exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So these Cretans, much like our culture, aren't the biggest fans of this idea of submission, either... Uh, Either way, Um, even when they were a democracy, chaos. When you're being ruled, chaos. It wasn't natural to them. Now, when we talk about submission to our ruling authorities, there is a really big but and limit that needs to come in here because we know that rulers and authorities are men. Therefore, they can sin and they can err. That's across the board. That's in the family. The husband can fall into all kinds of gross sin. And I think that's really important that we pray and cover our men like that because it's, it's, it's an impossible job if Christ isn't leading that man. For government, absolutely. Our, we, we see it all the time. Our politicians are just, falling into gross sin. That's why nobody trusts them now because we all think they're up to something. I don't, if, 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 if Chris were to become a politician tomorrow, I would no longer trust them. But that's, it. That's, part, that's, part of our, that's part of our deal. Like, politician, we don't trust that guy. Why? Because we think politicians are creeps. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's something that happens. But they're, they're, they're mortal men. Therefore, they're, they're going to sin. They're not Christ. Even in the church, you know, uh, church hurt is a real thing. You know, uh, we all know people that have been hurt by people in the church. You know, that, that, uh, that's a sad thing and it's a real thing. Uh, I never really specifically think I experienced it, but I know of people that have been manipulated, that have been taken advantage of, that have been hurt by people in the church. Some of them pastors, you know. Um, it's there, it seems like there's one every couple of years, somebody's falling off the wagon. It's a very real thing. So is there a limit to our submission? Let's think about that. Do you think the apostle Paul is calling us to ultimate submission where we no longer say anything to anyone? No, because we look at cultures or look Nazi Germany, right? Hitler didn't break any laws. Everything he did was completely legal. When he executed and committed all those crimes against humanity, he wasn't breaking laws. He changed the laws. He was doing what was legally right. So 
the Christian of that time, are they to say, yes, submit to that guy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But, but there were people who were making that argument. There were people who were making that argument. There was um, very few who stood up, and the ones that stood up, um, they met the bad end of a rope. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was a courageous, courageous man. He stood up to Hitler and, and the whole Nazi regime when everyone else would, would, wouldn't. He's like, no, this isn't right by God. He was a German citizen. So I don't care what you say, this isn't right. We can't do this to people. And he was a voice, he was a light crying out into a dark culture at that time. And it was met by empty ears. And he met with the business end of a rope. So that's what we are called to, called to submission. But there is a limit to that submission. Whenever our rulers and our authorities start running against what God says is good and just for us, that, that, that's, that's where it stops. So we're not supposed to follow blindly into oblivion. There comes a point where it's like, we got to pump the brakes on this one. I think this is, this is uh, unjust what we're doing. And there's some, a lot of hot button topics today where we've already gone past that point and it's the job of the church to preach the gospel into the culture and make them aware that, hey, this is something that we cannot tolerate. This is evil. Right now we are murdering our children wholesale and there's tax money being funded into it. This is something that we cannot stand for. And it's the job of both the church and the government and the family. This affects every aspect of what God has ordained to protect this issue because it affects every single one of them. If you're listening to what God has said about family, this would not be an issue because there's a man, there's a woman in covenant protecting their children, not having our children out there sacrificed to false idols. If the government's doing what they're supposed to be doing, they would be punishing wickedness. That's their job. That's the wrath that the, the wrath of God is carried out. The justice of God is carried out eternally by God on earth by the civil magistrate. That's their job to will the sword against evildoers. And that's what it says later in uh, Romans 13. So if, if the civil government is supposed to be doing their job, they would be punishing this wickedness, but they're turning their backs to it. There's a lot of churches, this is how it affects all three, a lot of churches are quiet on the issue. They're afraid to say it from the pulpit. Abortion is murder. There's no way around it. You're murdering your babies. We can't murder babies. Murdering babies is absolutely wrong. And don't be afraid to say it. It should be proclaimed from the highest mountaintop, and this is something that we should all agree on. So if these three areas of what God had ordained to protect human life and, and, and to build joy are functioning in the correct perspective, only thing that happens is joy, everlasting. That's what God is trying to institute by our obedience. So let's move on to verse 2. 
to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Um, when we talk about speaking evil, let's qualify that because we can sometimes cross over into some kind of word of faith or even lying by omission. And that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. A lie by omission is when we don't say something bad about someone, even though it's true. Like if we're called to court and they say, did your neighbor kill his wife? And we're like, I don't know. That's, that's a lie by omission or, we, or we're silent on the issue. As a Christian, you are called to tell the truth. And if that truth is... Uh, uh, make someone look bad, that's not evil. That's telling the truth. Uh, so if we knew some random guy who stole stuff, for example, would it be considered evil if we warned people that uh, Randy, the random guy, has sticky fingers? It, no, that's not evil. That's the, hey, hey, don't invite that guy over your house. I'm not trying to gossip or slander, but we've seen the guy, you know, there's a problem. We're praying for him. We just want to protect you. If you do, hide, hide, hide the expensive stuff, you know. Now, that would be just telling the truth. Where it can cross over into evil and what Paul is talking about when we don't like Randy, the random guy, and then we just say he still stuffs anyway. <laughs> we can't, you know, speak that type of evil over uh, people in the sense where, we, we just don't like the guy, and we say, yeah, he steals stuff. He's, I mean, it's bad. Anything shiny, he's like, a, like, he's like a little monkey or something. He'll put it in his pockets. Yeah, that's, that's, speaking, <laughs> that's speaking evil <laughs> over Randy the Random Guy, and we do not want to do that. So we shouldn't say things, and, and this is another thing that the Christian is called to when it comes to speaking evil. Evil is when we say things with the intent to hurt people's feelings. So our intention with our words is not to hurt people's feelings. We can tell the truth. However, that truth cannot disregard that they're a person and they have feelings. So if you hurt someone's feelings without intention, it's not an evil. But if you personally Say, in your mind, this is what I'm going to say to this person. It's going to make me feel good to say this to this person. That would be considered an evil. Okay. Okay. So gossip, any type of gossip, if it isn't based on truth, would be an evil. You're slandering people. And gossip and slander are, are more destructive than what anyone could know. Um, whenever someone's talking about someone or someone's making a case against someone, here's how you're able to identify if they're speaking evil of a person. I can tell you, hey, Randy, the random guy stole something from so-and-so's house, and that would be truth. I'm just talking about what happened. But if I say Randy, the random guy, is a miserable person and... He likes to go and sell this stuff for uh, drugs so he can, you know, then I'm speculating on his heart condition. And I'm no longer talking about truth. I'm talking about the person. Now, that can't be known. 
I can't, there's no way I can know that from what he did. I can't look into Randy the random guy. I can, I can make the general assumption that there's some sort of sin there. But when I start talking about his heart condition and what's going on with him, I'm only speculating. I can say what scripture says no further. Yeah, he's got some sort of problem with some sort of worship problem, perhaps. I can say that. However, I can't say he's a miserable guy. He's doing it to, to buy drugs if I do not know that. So when we start speculating on what people's intentions are, we're talking about some, some form of evil that is exactly what Paul's talking about. So Christians should not only speak evil in their not speak evil in their personal life, but also if we're called to court. You know, if, if I, I go on some sort of killing spree, we find out like I'm like the, you know, a serial murderer. Everyone here would be expected to, yeah, he, he totally, you know, he wore the dude like a skin suit. I don't know. That's what he does. So everyone here would be expected to tell the truth. However, we can't speculate on why I did what I did. Understand? Then it crosses over into an evil. All right, to avoid quarreling. Okay, Uh, that's a word that can be a little tricky, and we have to understand the context behind quarreling, because sometimes we think quarreling and arguing are the same thing, and they are not always the same thing. Let me explain. Um, when, When someone's about to go to jail and they're on trial, and, and a lawyer is up there, a lawyer makes an argument, okay? An argument doesn't necessarily indicate uh, a quarrel. A quarrel is, is what happens when you ask a woman if she's pregnant and she's not. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a quarrel. <laughs> it's like, hey, how far along are you? <laughs> it's like, oh, you're not pregnant. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so what happens after that, that's a quarrel. <laughs> Argument is usually followed with uh, ration and logic. However, they're not necessarily the same thing. So what he's getting at is quarreling. So we're, as Christians, we're called not to uh, cross over into the irrational and start talking about uh, feelings and anger and out of our own wrath or spite and anger speaking out of those. So that's, 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 that's the no. So we get from that to avoid being quarrelsome and do not ask a woman if she's pregnant if you don't know. It's just play it in the safe zone and just be like, hey, if she, unless she tells me, I don't know. <laughs> not going to make assumptions, which I've done before. I've done that to people before and that's life lesson. There was a quarrel that ensued afterwards. Like, so how far along are you? Okay, and here, here's why we should uh, not be quarrelsome. Here's why we should speak evil of no one. Here's why we should be gentle and courteous toward all people. It's found in the next verse. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. When we speak 
evil on someone, when we do all this stuff in verse 2, when we're quarrelsome, when we speak evil, when we're harsh to others, we're forgetting verse 3. That's us. That's instant humility shot. The moment we're mistreating someone, that's us. The moment we say, oh, this person's foolish, you were once a fool. The moment you say, oh, this person is uh, 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 rude, I don't know, you were once rude. As Christians, we should be able to extend the exact same grace that is given to us. Because somebody extended love to you and still does, still does. That's why you're in a community of believers and that's what it's for. We give this grace and, and because God gives us this grace and we should be able to extend it no matter what. Because we all didn't start off where we are today. It's been a journey. And here's the thing I learned about journey. This is just as a personal insight. Um, sometimes it's, it, it, you can judge someone's walk about where they're at right now. It's like, oh, they don't read their Bible. They don't know their Bible. But they come to church and you're like, wow, they're really an immature Christian or they may not even be saved. But you don't know where they started at. You don't know where that walk started at. So I might come and I say, look at Eddie here. He 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 doesn't know that 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 Ruth comes after judges. So (laughs) he doesn't he doesn't know that Ruth comes after judges. So I'm going to judge him. But what I don't know is that that, you know, Eddie's a a, a refrained drug dealer or he used to be a pimp or something. You know, he was just (laughs) caught up in some kind of wickedness. So even in that, I don't know how many steps. Yeah. Yeah. Percival. There it is. I don't know how many steps that he's taken to get where he's at. I may have taken one step. To get where I'm at, and I may be in front of him today, but he may have taken a thousand steps to not know what, which book that, that, that comes in. So th- there it is. And by the way, Ruth comes after Judges, just so you know. Thank you. There you go. There you go. So, so you know, anytime going forward. It, it was probably. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk later. So there's that. Okay. Now, um, Here's uh, one of my favorite things in the Bible when they start talking reckless like this. Um, I don't know. I, I may need deliverance. For we ourselves were once foolish. Um, this is one of my favorite Bible words, fool. Because this describes every single one of us before Christ. Because we are absolutely to the max foolish. But you have to understand what the Bible means when it says foolish isn't necessarily what we think when we hear the word foolish. We may associate foolish with um, some sort of lacking intellect. And that's not what the Bible means. When the Bible says fool, it's a moral charge. It's a, when the Bible calls you a fool, you're a fool because you know what right and wrong is and you still choose the wrong thing. Amen. So it's not, it's not lacking 
uh, it's, it's not being uh, uh, ignoramus or something. It's, it's not that you don't have uh, the right direction or you don't know right from wrong. You're choosing to do the wrong thing. Right. So it's not about our intellectual ability, meaning that it's, it's not that they're not smart, but they're doing what they already know. They're consciously choosing the wrong thing. So no matter where we are in our walk at some point, and even still today, I'm going to talk about this. We're going to read this, and some of us are going to still consciously choose to do the wrong thing. So even though we are delivered and we're justified and we're, we're, we're moving towards glorification through our sanctification in Christ, there's still a part of us that remains foolish and, and is still going to make the unwise decision of knowing to do the wrong thing. Uh, and that comes from one of my favorite Psalms, uh, Psalms 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, some of us may not do that out loud, but we very much do it with our actions. We live a life committed to sinful things, uh, and with our actions, we say there is no God. There's not going to be a wrath to come. There's not going to be judgment to come, and we do it with our actions. But with our mouth, we might even praise God. And then with our actions, we very much act like there isn't judgment to come, and there is. Which uh, Psalms 14 talks about there is no God, which flies in the face of Romans 1. Because in Romans 1, it talks about God. Wait, hold on. I'll read it for you. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So no one has an excuse for behaving ungodly. Whether you claim to not know or not know God, everybody knows God. On a basic level, everybody knows God. Why? Because he's made it known to them. Even now, scientists are trying to figure out what exactly is going on. And, and, and the Christian can look at the sunrise and like, dude, there's a God. <laughs> we can look at a leaf. <laughs> we can look at a snowflake and just know. It's like how it's obvious. It's blaringly obvious. And uh, we think they're idiots and they think we're idiots. It's like, dude, it's everywhere. You can't explain anything. <laughs> it's obvious. It's everywhere. It's, it's, it's crying out from the trees. Look at the sun, dude. <laughs> but to them, they, they, they foolishly pursue I don't know. Maybe like, dude, okay. But we even still, we can't judge them in that because God hasn't removed that from their heart. But yet they're still going to be accountable for their hardness and accountable for their waging against God because that's what they're doing. So uh, the fool does what he knows is already morally wrong. So who is that type of fool? Us. We've all been that type of fool. Uh, rather, we're just now learning about Christ or we've been a Christian for years. We still will engage in foolishness. So we don't tell lies and then pick up and read the Ten Commandments and uh, find out, oh, my goodness, you know, did you know that lying was wrong? <laughs> that nobody's ever done that. 
You know, <laughs> you know that comes from being part of an image bearer. God made you in his image, the Imago Dei. So being made in the image of God carries his teachings within your being. You know, you don't, no one has to tell you that killing is wrong. You don't have to strangle somebody and then go to jail like, what? <laughs> you mean I could not strangle that guy that cut me off? No, no, you couldn't. <laughs> and you knew that. And we didn't have to draft a law for you to know that. That's imago dei. And the image of God, that's why you know that that's wrong. And in even uh, still, you wage against that. <laughs> um. And I said uh, last time that e a person is either a slave to Christ or a slave to sin. And that's the exact behavior that's being described in the rest of the verse. Being a slave to your passions and desires makes you disobedient to God. And you're not living your life by his standards, but by your own standards, which are absolutely unacceptable. In fact, it's a warfare against the strongest being in existence. Uh, personal memory, I'll, I'll share this with you. I remember um, being a teenager and going to one of those uh, WWE shows, right? I used to be in that stuff. Um, I seen a wrestler, I think his name was uh, Kane, right? Dude's about 6'10", 285 pounds. This was the biggest person I'd ever seen. And I was floor level, and I walked and watch out, and I'm thinking, at my that is a I didn't know they made men that big. That's, that's like, I haven't, like, if you've been to a basketball game, you've seen people tall, but just bulky and tall. I mean, my head, I got a big head. My head could fit in this dude's shoulder. And it was just like, this guy probably never has to fight again in his life. Like, that's not, unless you're another bigger guy, that's not anything that happens when, you know, you, you see this guy at Walmart, nobody says anything to him. You go to a bar, that's how big this man is. He was a huge man. Now, God made that man. God made that man. And we war against the God that made that man. In a second, that man can be undone. And that's the God that we war against with our own actions. More people are apt to be afraid of what a man can do to you and, or instead of what God can do to you. Granted, this man could probably bend you into the shape of a W with his bare hands. But <laughs> break some stuff and set you on a shelf somewhere. But God is not to be trifled with. He's the God that made that man. So it's, it's not something we should take lightly. So it's in this uh, unregenerate state, sort of, that, that we sort of hate others. And we even call the things that we love or the things uh, love is more akin to hate. When you're not saved and you don't know God, we have a skewed view of what love really is. Everybody makes up in their head, oh, this is what love looks like. I think love is sex, or I think love is emotional feelings. And it not be that. 
So we carry out our lives before Christ thinking we're loving people and we're actually hating people. We're leading them further into sin and into death. So we're hating others, not only with our actions, but our thoughts and our deeds, because we're thinking incorrectly about who that person, excuse me, who that person is. So we think in our unregenerate state, we're loving people, but we're actually hating people. We're not leading them to the one true God. We're leading them further into death. And we call it love. Even today, you know, Love Wins, which was a horrible book by some guy we're not going to mention right now. Doesn't even deserve. But it's just like, this is what love is. Love is all accepting and doesn't discriminate against any people that do wrong. Like, okay, love wins, right? So does love win when your, your, your child's teacher is a pedophile? Do you love him and invite him in with your children? Do you do that then? Does, does love win with the, with the serial murder? And you, that's your next, next door neighbor and you just hang out with him? Do you go hang out with murderers? No. We, we, we discriminate against those people. It's like, wait, you, you are a serial murderer, and I think it would be wise if I not hung out with you. That's, <laughs> you are a pedophile, and even in Christ, you can be free from that, and I love you. However, I'm not going to have my kids around you today. I mean, uh, there, is, it, is, is, that, is, that, is it still loving to say that? Absolutely. God doesn't say love is this all-accepting, undiscerning emotion in which we just completely dump out all common sense. It's like, I'm going to loan this guy with the gambling per- problem $1,000 because I love him. That's, that's, that's strange love there. Like, yeah. strange fire, that's strange love. That's like, whoa, you know, you know, you know he got a gambling problem. <laughs> no, that, and, and that's what the world would call love. And we would say, actually, that is hate. And that's what the verse is getting at when we say hated by others and hating one another. And some of us are even uh, wicked in our own hearts and we actually hate a person. Um, I I can admit to that. I remember. Have you ever uh, not liked a person just because like I've I I can admit to that. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I hate that guy. It's like, why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I hate that guy, but I hate that guy. Dude could be the coolest guy in the world, or a young lady could be the coolest person in the world. It's like, I hate that guy. It's like, why? I don't know. <laughs> Just do. I hate his face. <laughs> I want to hit him with rocks. But yeah, I don't know. Pray for me. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a real thing. Sometimes even that will, will creep into our hearts. So... Moving to verse 5. Uh, 4, I'm sorry. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us not because of His works. I'm going to do 4 and 5 together. That's what I did. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing, regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior. Um, There's 
a lot of things that we can get confused about in the Bible, but that one should be pretty clear. Like, how can you not walk away that we're talking about Christ? Christ is Savior and God. He's both God and Savior. That's why when people are like, well, the Bible doesn't say Jesus is God, it sort of makes me want to do a backflip in my head because it's like, it's like obvious. How do you, <laughs> how do you read? Have you, do you even Bible, bro? <laughs> so the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. God, uh, being fully God, enters into our sin world in Christ, wraps himself in flesh, and out of love for his flock, ministers, and, and, and enters our world with the muck and the mire, with the pain, with the sickness, with the death, and in that, acting completely out of love. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. All right, Paul is a, there it is. I mean, I don't know how to explain that. That's not a plain reading of the text. God saves us, not ourselves. It's God who shows mercy, and that mercy is according to his own will. Um, Let's, we we can back that up with uh, plenty of other verses. Uh, Let's go to, Second Timothy verse one verse nine. Um, I mean, chap- chapter one verse nine. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Um, that's that's one thing that we definitely need to all be able to articulate. It's not our work that gets us into heaven. There's nothing you could do to deserve heaven. You are a sinner in need of a savior. So we can never cross the bounds of from sinner to saved without God acting. God has to do something for us to change that. If we continue on doing what we're doing, as I said before, you're a slave to Christ or a slave to sin. If we're enslaved to sin, that brings up my point, which I said in my previous sermon. Our nature is sin. That makes us dirt. What does dirt do? Nothing. So if we're dirt, our nature is to be, continue to be dirt. If we're enslaved in sin, it's ingrained in our nature to continue sinning. That's what we want to do. Unless our nature can be changed. Or added to. And it's Christ through the Holy Spirit that adds to our nature his grace by faith through the cross. So it's through that cross that we can now do something else besides be dirt. Until then, we have to be completely consistent with our own nature. Dirt don't do nothing. Let's keep this going. There's more. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. All right. Um, in heaven, there's not going to be anyone that can say, dude, I was awesome at life. I did everything I needed to do, and that's how I got here. Only Christ can say that. Nobody gets to heaven because of their own awesomeness. You have no awesomeness. Your works are like filthy 
filthy <laughs> rags to God. He doesn't even see your works. And here's another thing that needs to die. Um, I need to kill this right here from the God. Like God sees my heart. Listen, you don't want God to see your heart. You want God to see the righteousness of Christ. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who could know it? So from that, we think that, oh, I'm a naturally good person on the inside, but on the outside, I just do bad things. That's not what the Bible teaches. Your, your wickedness comes from your heart. Your heart is the problem. So you're not a good person on the inside that does bad things. You're a bad person that does bad things and sometimes occasionally does good things. You know, that's the, our, our uh, meta-narrative. Well, our, uh, what the Bible says about people is opposite to what the culture thinks. So that needs to die. We're not a good person on the inside with a bad person on the outside. We're a bad person on the inside, and our badness is restrained by civil goodness. That's it. So out of the heart, you know, you don't do anything that you don't want to do. You don't, Brett Rob, wisdom there. Yeah, you always do what you most want to do. There it is. Um, so when you're, think about, think about that the next time you're caught up in some strange sin. It's like, how did this happen? You know? You wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah. Someone didn't inject that to you. You just did you there weren't aliens pumping bad ideas or anything. It wasn't Satan, it was most likely you, you know. The the first culprit is usually you. But we don't we don't like that, so sometimes we can over spiritualize and we'd rather go with Satan. Satan's easier bet. It couldn't be us. It had to be the devil. Okay, um, Let's keep it moving here. I don't know how much time we have. Oh, wow. Okay. Three, six. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Um, the sixes and seven. So we're, we're doing pretty good. Justified just describes the uh, legal descriptions of Christians um, in their court case before the judge of the universe, in which all of us are very much guilty. We're all guilty. If we were to go before God and we, we couldn't we could not plead innocent. However, there will be people in heaven. So. How does that happen? What happens that gets us there? How do guilty people get into heaven? Through the blood of Jesus. Through his work. It's God that sees his work and not our own works. Remember we talked about before. We don't want God to see, oh, I was awesome. Or we don't want God to see, well, my heart. No, not your heart. Not your awesomeness. Jesus. That's what we want. We want to walk in clothed in the righteousness of Christ because our own doesn't count and our heart is even worse. So uh, justice happens either when Christ takes that punishment or in hell. Somebody has to pay for sin. So Christ is going to pay for sin 
or you're going to pay for sin. So the million dollar question is, uh, which, which one of us is going to pay for the sin? That's just something that we all live with. Who, who's going who's gonna to pay for this sin? Somebody's got to pay. And even, even then, there, there's other kinds of uh, horrible theologies that, that God just arbitrarily dismisses sin, like in Islam. He just, well, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> so sin, that, that's the problem. You're a sinner. Who's going to pay for it? This saying is trustworthy, eight, verse 8. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. All right. So what we're talking about, you can take to the bank, okay? That's what Paul's hitting home. There's no, there's no doubt in this. This isn't sort of like a maybe this is going to work out thing. Uh, the, and with the question that we just asked, I can't leave you like that. that. That wouldn't be necessarily right. So if you belong to Christ, what he's getting at is you're going to devote yourself to good work and not just any good work like mowing your neighbor's lawn or something like that. Let me, can you see the rest of that? Devoted to good works. The good works isn't necessarily what we do to our friends and neighbors or serving. It's not necessarily just that. It encapsulates that. So it means that, but it also means more. And what we're getting at is uh, two of my favorite terms, big words. We're going to break them down. Orthodoxy and both orthopraxy. What that means is not only are we supposed to have right belief, but we're also supposed to have right practice. And the two go together. You can't have one without the other. You can't have, oh, I believe this, this, and this, and all your T's be crossed and your I's be dotted and say, this is what I believe. However, if the practice of that doesn't manifest in servanthood or, or humility or, or, or even you know, just the love for people, then there's, there's something wrong. You're off balance. What we, we are called to is both. And none of these rules that we have are uh, something to restrain you or to kill all your fun or anything like that. What we're being called to is joy, everlasting. And that should be an amen and a hallelujah for everybody because one day this flesh is going to fade away. We can't, we're not going to be flesh, we're not going to have flesh forever. And when God says, hey, I need you to do this and believe this, and you're going to be called onto glory with him, that's what we want. However, to enjoy what we have now, our focus needs to be on the heavenly. So that's our perspective on right belief and right action. Because they're tied together. You can't break them from each other. You can't break them from each other. So we should practice what we preach and never 
substitute one for the other because that's what we'll try to do. We'll try to substitute, hey, I do this, I do that, I do that, I do this, and you don't know who the triune God is. Or we'll say, hey, I got all these books, look at my theology collection, yet we don't sacrifice lovingly for our wives. You know? So these things all go together. Don't separate them. 